see all of you here this morning. If you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, we are just getting started in this fascinating book. Uh, and if you're new here, I want you to know um, we are so glad to have you. My name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a delight to have you with us, whether you're joining us online or you're in person. And one of the things that we do is we take a book of the Bible And we really dive deep because we want God to bring transformation to our lives through the scripture he has given us. Life is all about changes, right? There's just, it just never stays the same. Even those times you really want to just capture the moment, like if we could just stay here, it's always changing. History is always moving one second at a time. And next thing you know, you're in the present, moving into the future. And some of the changes, though, in our lives are very difficult, some of which we would never, ever thought we would experience. Sometimes they just roll upon us like waves. That was certainly the case for Elimelech and Naomi. And we meet them, and we saw them last week as we just got started in this book. They are living shattered dreams. If you recall, uh, Elimelech and Naomi and their two boys, uh, they are from Israel. In fact, they live in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And yet, it's like one devastation after another. You see, they were God's people living in the promised land that God had given them. But God had established a covenant with the people of Israel. And he said, listen, if you, if you worship me, you experience and know my goodness, you walk in my ways, you heed my word, I want you to know I will continue to pour forth blessing from you. This is my covenant promise to you. But also, though, if you disregard me, you disobey, you, you start weaving in the false gods of the people around you, you disregard my word, you do not walk in my ways, I will, like a loving father, bring you to a place where I've got your full attention. I will bring judgments upon you. And sure enough, the people of Israel, they had completely walked away from God. This is during the time of the judges. It is a downward spiral in the nation of Israel. It's like it says in Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but everyone did what is right in their own eyes. Kind of like today. You just do what you feel like, what makes sense to you. My truth My experience is what I want. And so it was playing out in Israel. And so God brought forth judgment. He did so by way of a famine. A famine to alert the nation of Israel. You have walked away from me. And this famine was severe. The lack of food was so great that Elimelech and Naomi decided that they would leave the promised land. They would leave the house of bread, Bethlehem, And they would go to the land of their enemies. They would go to Moab, about a 50-mile journey. And this was no small decision. I mean, Moabites, though they are uh, very indirectly through Abraham, specifically Lot, are related to the people of Israel. They were Israel's enemies. They had their own god, a god by the name of Chemosh, This is a God that was worshipped through child sacrifice. They had a bunch of local deities. The Moabites uh, were always the enemy of the people of Israel. We see in in Judges chapter 3 that for 18 years, uh, one of their kings, Eglon, actually dominated Israel. 
And yet they moved in this foreign land. They were relocated and they were displaced. And then you think like, well, that was really difficult. But I want you to know things went from bad to worse. For there was a series of devastating personal losses. Elimelech dies in the land of Moab. And not only that, but then after this takes place, her two boys marry Moabite women. And Naomi's two boys end up dying themselves. Her daughters-in-laws, they have no children. And to make matters even worse, there is no hope for Naomi. It was in this time where she felt like she had no hope. There was the small whisper of God that he was still there and that he still cared and could be trusted. We saw it in verse 6 last week. For Naomi had heard that God had brought food to the land of Israel. God's judgment had had its effect. The people were returning. Worship was taking place from the heart. People were starting to walk in the ways of Yahweh. And Naomi decides that she is going back by virtue of the testimony that she heard. Like we saw last week, never underestimate the power of your testimony. Your testimony of how God is at work in your life, in our church, in our community, in our world, is a testimony of hope. It tells people that God is not only great, that he's also good. And it may very well be someone's ticket home. It was in the case for Naomi. You see, a testimony tells us that God is a God of hope. And hope is what our heart really needs. But I want you to know, we can miss God's hope. I want you to... I want to answer the question that is so profound that we all wrestle with this from time to time. If you're not presently, you will be. How can we miss experiencing God's hope when life seems hopeless? I want you to know God's hope is available, but if you do not know what's recorded in Ruth chapter 1, you may very well miss it. A lot of people have. How can we miss... God's hope when life seems hopeless? Well, the first thing is forgetting to live by faith that God is at work in the midst of your trials. We all go through trials. We face things that are difficult, perhaps inexplicable. They may drive us down to the very core of our being. If you forget that God is at work in your trials, you're going to miss the hope that God provides. And unfortunately, that's what takes place for Naomi. Look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. So they make this trek about 50 miles. It's while on their way that verse 8 takes place. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord, Yahweh, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Here, Naomi 
tells her two daughters-in-law, listen, may God deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with me, but I want you to go back. In fact, she says in verse 9, may the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Here she says, listen, I want you to go back, go back to the home of your mother's. I want you to remarry. The rest that she was referring to is the security and rest that is found in marriage. And she says, may God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the one true God, actually display his favor, his hased, his loyal love to you, that you might marry again and find rest in the land of Moab. You see, she recognizes that these two girls can't come back to Bethlehem with her. There is no hope for security for, her, for Naomi or these two girls. These two girls, by the way, have two strikes against them. One, they're from the land of Moab. They're Moabites, Israel's enemy. How do you think that's going to fare in the land of Israel? Not very well. Second of all, they have not had children. They seem to have a history of barrenness. And furthermore, there's no father figure like Elimelech to help arrange and work a marriage to explain to the people of Israel like, oh, like, well, these Moabite girls, these are actually good girls and, and they, they really, this would be a really advantageous marriage because marriages were arranged at that time. None of those things are options. And it's not like Naomi is saying these things with kind of like the hopes like she's testing them. Like, well, I really want you to come with me, but I'm going to throw this out here uh, just to kind of test it. You know, I really want you to say yes, but I'm going to tell you to go back home. It's not that at all. In fact, she's absolutely adamant. She argues, coerces, implores them. She releases them legally, morally, and those familial bonds, they are now bonded to her by virtue of family. She is sending them away. She is all but calling an Uber to come pick them up and haul them back to Moab. Some scholars think that, well, the reason that Naomi actually took them out of Moab and they did it somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem is so that these two girls, Ruth and Orpah, wouldn't convince her that, no, we can make it in Moab. Our families will all kind of take care of you. It'll all work out. She takes them out of Moab so she cannot be convinced and she sends them back. But what takes place, I'm sure Naomi was not ready for. Look at verse 10. After she says, listen, may the Lord find rest for you, each in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they're weeping. Verse 10, and they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. 
She's basically demanding those two girls, you go back to Moab. And if you're trying to like, well, what, what is the world is she talking about here? She's, first of all, I want you to just notice the personable language. She refers to these girls as her daughters. But this idea of like, would you wait if I should have a husband tonight and then have sons? Are you going to wait for those sons? What, what Naomi is appealing to is the Israel, Israelite custom of leveret marriage. Leveret means brother-in-law. And so this is how this works. Uh, in the event that the, like the son should die, a younger son is to marry his daughter-in-law and they are to, she's to conceive and to have a son and that son will carry on the family's name in the brother's name, okay? That's what Naomi is talking about. Are you really gonna wait like if I should like get married even tonight, have two, like two boys, you're going to wait for them, they're going to eventually marry you, and then you're going to have children? Is, is, are you really in for that? Like, I'd like to ask, like you ladies, I mean, how interested would you be in marrying your brother-in-law? Don't put your hands up, okay? I don't, okay, <laughs> that's really going to cause a lot of problems to be like, I think I'd do that. Okay, don't do that. But that's what she's talking about here. And they understand this custom. And she is in a stage of grief. In fact, you know, the mouth speaks from that which fills one's heart. And as Naomi starts speaking, she is in such a deep stage of grief, and one of those stages is anger, and it just starts flowing out. It's almost as if she is caught by surprise at the words that she's saying, but she literally says, It's harder for me than for you. The hand of Yahweh has gone forth against me. This is anthropomorphic language. Uh, God doesn't have a literal hand because God is spirit. But she's saying the hand, the force, the power of the Almighty. In her perception, God is against me. She is basically telling these girls, listen, my Intense bitterness is too much for you, for you to bear. Leave me. Leave me alone. Go back to Moab. May God bless you there. And so often when we uh, read the book of Ruth, we just kind of gloss over all this. And that's a huge part of the problem. If you are really going to connect with Naomi's losses, and that's why this is written, you need to compare her to the legendary sufferer, Job. I mean, Job is a gallant, valiant, godly man. I mean, he even prays for his kids in the event that they may have even sinned against God. In fact, his godliness is so great, he's on the radar even with Satan. Like, how can we bring this guy down? Ruth is of the same ilk Ruth is a godly woman. She's mature. And she yet, though, is going through the devastation of just the horrendous losses in her life. I want you to understand that if you gloss over this scene here with Naomi, like, oh, just some facts, pretty upset about the whole deal, God's hands again, and just keep moving. If you minimize her loss and her sense of grief, you're going to trivialize the own grief in your own heart. The reason that these events are written in Holy Writ, like in the book of Ruth, 
And the reason that the book of Job is written is so that we will enter into their sufferings. Because their sufferings give articulation to some of the deep, dark nights of the soul that we go through. Don't gloss over this like, I just want to kind of get on to the the really good parts that are coming, the parts that everybody are talking about. If you do that, you trivialize your own pain. You, You will not find how God pursues us and meets us in the times of great desperation in our own lives. Chances are, likely, all of you, if you already haven't, you will at some point go through what we could call a dark night of the soul. A time where it's just like, this makes no sense. God has completely disrupted and and maybe even brought great devastation in my life. My pain and anguish have no answers. And yet I know that God is involved in these things, and yet I simply cannot understand why. And it's lead to a bitterness of soul, a heartache that is that's palpable. And you might express things like even Naomi does, that the hand of God is against me. And sometimes people that go through a dark night of the soul, they have this experience where like, even in the, in the midst of it, suddenly it's as if a ray of light bolts through. And all of a sudden they have this overwhelming sense of God's presence and, and there is joy and there's peace, even in the midst of the hurricane or the turmoil that you're going through. And I want you to know, when that happens, that is a great mercy. That's God's grace to you. But you need to know, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes it's like Job or like Naomi. And it's just like, I don't even sense God's presence. I know that he's there, but it seems as if the Almighty is against me. Naomi's experiences are not unlike the shell-shocked Ellie Vassell, the Holocaust survivor who spoke so eloquently and so, trans, uh, so uh, transparently about the pain and the anguish of his life, the Holocaust. He write about, wrote about it in this book called Night. Let me just give you a quote. He had come to a place where he was convinced of God's existence. That never left but he lost all hope in God's goodness. And he wrote this, Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I'm condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. For Naomi, it's as if her faith in God has been decimated. We'd like to think that people like Job and like Naomi, that they should be, because of their godly stature and their long history with God, that they should have a tough skin, that the experiences of being displaced and relocated and the loss of a husband and the the loss of of children and famine, why, they should just kind of like bounce off and you're just like, next, move forward. It doesn't really affect me, but it just doesn't actually work that way in the real world. And when we're honest with God, and friends, that's where healing really takes place. When you're done with just kind of flippant phrases, I think I should just say this or put on the happy face, but you're like, you're honest with God and yourself, it's in this time 
that God moves in and he pursues us when we sense that we don't have hope. He meets us in our pain. And I want you to know that your faith, it can take an awful beating. I don't care how much theology you've mastered, how many Bible verses you know, or even how long that you've been a Christian. I can tell from even personal experience, your faith can take a beating. And that's exactly what's happening here with Naomi. You see, sometimes the fingerprints of how God is at work are not readily apparent in the present time. In fact, the specifics of how God is at work are rarely known when you're going through them. We simply are called to live by faith and to trust him, to realize that God is mysteriously at work in the mess, even if we can't see it. You see, God offers hope to the hopeless, but you will miss it. You will miss it if you forget to live by faith that God is at work in the midst of your trials. And that's what's happening with Naomi. She simply is no longer living by faith that God is at work in her trials. But let me tell you another way that you will miss God's hope when life seems hopeless. And that is to forgetting to live with joy when you see God's grace at work in your midst. Well, take a look at verse 14. Here they are, somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. Can't you hear them crying? These three gals just weeping from what had been, what might have been, where they were at. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Here we are. Naomi has made her argument, pleaded her case, and made her demand, leave me. And Orpah said, you know what? I'll do just that. She'd heard enough. She plots her path back to Moab. She dries her eyes. She says her goodbyes. She goes back to the land in which she had come from. And I want you to know that this made good common sense. This is logical. This is what Naomi had told her to do. And so she does it. But Ruth, however, same circumstances, same words, but a totally different reaction. Did you notice that in verse 14? Ruth clung to her. The word in Hebrew speaks of like tenaciously holding on, like grabbing on to someone. It's not just like kind of measly, like putting your hand on like your arm right there like that, but like grabbing on, holding on. It's a message of God's grace in the midst of great heartache. This weeping widow, this younger lady who's experienced difficult hardship, but she is not letting go. It's in this dark hour that God shines forth just this one ray of light, of grace, and does it through the life of Ruth. It's a reminder that God never lets his children go, but it's as if Naomi misses it. She forgets to live with joy when she sees God working in her midst. And notice, look how she reacts. I mean, this is this would be about the opposite of what you'd expect. Verse 15, then she said, behold, your sister-in-law, 
has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Notice she described Orpah's actions in theological terms. She's gone back to her people, your people, back to her gods. Kamish, the god who's worshipped through child sacrifices, all the local deities, she's gone back. Ruth, go back. You can still catch her. She's not that far away. But despite Naomi's pleadings, I want you to know it's not about geography for her. For Ruth, it's not about even family loyalty or her future. This is all about a decision, all about God. And notice this startling determination. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. She is saying, do not pressure me to desert you, because I want you to know I'm no longer the Moabite girl who worships false gods. This is a declaration of her faith in the living God. Could there be any stronger collision of words? Naomi says, the Lord's hand has gone against me, right? Verse 13, what is Ruth declaring? Your God will be my God. Crash. You see it? I want you to know this is a powerful demonstration of faith. Here she is. Here's Ruth. And she's got so many things that are against her. And yet she is holding on to God because God is is holding on to her. And you're like, where in the world did this come from? Well, I want you to know that God uses us in our brokenness. I want you to know that Naomi and Elimelech, their boys, I'm sure they were far from perfect. But you know what? They did know God. And, and I want you to know that uh, Ruth picked up from their words, their understanding of life, their worship, how they even walked through the grief, though it was far from perfect, I want you to know when you're living in darkness, even a little bit of light goes a long way. And Ruth, by God's sovereign grace, is seeing the reality of knowing the living God despite all the obstacles in front of her. I mean, take this in. Feel the full force of this moment Look at all the circumstances and obstacles that are against her. I mean, her background is against her. She is a Moabite. She comes from a family that worships Kamosh, Kamosh, this God who takes child sacrifices. They got all these local deities. Immorality is widely expressed and experienced in Moab. She's a Moabite. That's her past. That's her culture. But she's, she's willing to leave all that. She doesn't want that. For, for her, her circumstances were against her, Okay. She's got bitter circumstances. She watched her father-in-law die. She watched her husband die, her brother-in-law die. And yet, you know, she says, your God is now my God. I mean, you think like, whoa, you follow Yahweh, you have all these problems, famine, re-dislocated, uh, relocated, you lose your spouse, your families are all dying, and you still want to follow Yahweh? 
Well, then consider that even Naomi is against her. What is Naomi telling her to do? Leave now. (laughs) I don't want you. I want you to go. And yet, despite of this, this is tremendous display of God's mercy. That's just how God works. God reaches out with his mercy and grace to the most unlikely of people in the most unlikely of places. And that's what we see here. Let me give you the equation. The equation is this. Both Orpah and Ruth looked at this equation. You can either have Yahweh plus nothing in Bethlehem, or you can have everything minus Yahweh in Moab. When Ruth makes this declaration, she knows that she's never going to get married again. She knows it's going to be tough. She's going to be living as a foreigner in the land of Israel, coming from Israel's enemy. She knows it's going to be rough, but you know what? Those things don't really matter. Why? Because she has God. Orpah chose Moab. Ruth, on the other hand, she places her faith in Yahweh. And essentially, this is Ruth's conversion. This is Ruth making the declaration, listen, those gods back there, that was my past life. That's me no longer. And notice just how strongly she presents this. Verse 17, where you die, guess what? I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. She even calls upon God's covenant that you you end my life if this isn't the reality for me. You see, this is more than just that she loves Naomi. So often it's just portrayed like, oh, isn't that sweet how much just Ruth just loved Naomi? Yeah, Ruth loved Naomi. But what this really is about is how much Ruth loved God. Because even in the midst of all the heartache and hardships, she had come to discover how much God loves her. So here we have in verse 18, when Naomi saw this, she saw that she was determined to go with her. She said no more to her. You see, Ruth, by faith, leapt through all of the barriers. When you find yourself still believing and holding on to God because God is holding on to you, friends, that's authentic faith. It's kind of like when you see a flag whipping in the wind. You know how sometimes like it's whipping, the wind is going like 60 miles an hour? And, and you look at like some of those flags that are flying, and they're just like, and they're just rippling through the wind. And sometimes even the pole bends, but that flag is still fastened on there. That's what it's like for a person who still trusts God in the midst of all of the difficulties, all the pain, all the inexplicable, all the heartaches, and saying, my banner is still, Yahweh is my God. That's what we've got here for Ruth whipped around in the wind. This isn't some sort of fanciful Cinderella story where Ruth goes, well, I'm just going to make this statement about God and that's going to be happily ever after. Far from it. And she knows it. She doesn't have a, a superficial faith. This is the real deal. And so she makes this declaration. You see, when everyone is doing right in their own eyes, Ruth does what is right in God's eyes. This is kind of like when Paul writes to the Thessalonians and talks about their conversion, how you turn to God 
from idols to serve a living and true God. That's sovereign grace. That's what's going on with Ruth. You know, there should be this huge stone marker where this event took place. Somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem should be this huge memorial marker. This was a crossroads experience. This was a major milestone. This was a life-changing event. But what you may not fully realize is this not only was radically life-changing for Ruth, this affected all of human history. In fact, part of the reason why you're here today is because of what took place then. Of course, you're like, well, how does that all work out? You just keep reading and you will find out. But you know, at times in life, we have these crossroads moments. It may be the time of great despair and great difficulty in your life. It might be now where you realize that God does still have a hold of me. He is at work. A crossroads moment is like when you truly put your trust and faith in Christ and Christ alone. It's one one of these kind of moments for Ruth. And I'd like to ask, are you really a believer? Have you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God? Or are you kind of doing this deal? Hey, listen, like God, certainly like this idea of forgiveness, I don't want to go to hell. But I'm going to still kind of do my own thing, and I'm going to try to figure out how to synchronize a belief in God when it's convenient and how I would like God with the ways of the world so I can be cool and and just kind of really fit in. I want you to know it's either God or Moab, but it will not be both. And Ruth, it's like, like she goes through the narrow gate. And I have a question. Have you? Have you gone through the narrow gate of Jesus Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, for your hope for eternity, for your identity? Is Jesus the Lord of your life and the king of your heart? You know, oftentimes God's hope comes in human form. I mean, think of it. Conversations, people in your life, a family member, a card, a conversation, a letter, a text, an email. God is sending you a message that hope exists. He is still at work. And by the way, if you really want a ministry in people's lives, be a person that extends hope. I want you to know you've got hurting people everywhere you look. Some folks have gotten pretty good to put on a little masquerade, but I want you to know not too many people are spared great devastation and sorrows in life. What is needed is a reminder of God's hope, and that's what we have here. You know, God can use your testimony. Please share just even simple ways how God's at work in your life or what he's done. But God also can use your touch, or you just simply hold on to the arm of another person so they know God has not let them go. God's hope oftentimes comes in human form, specifically Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who entered into humanity. He came and he laid and stretched out his arms, his hands, and his feet, and he was crucified on our behalf so that through his death, you can have life, forgiveness. God's hope oftentimes comes in human form. And I want you just to know how to grow in the hope that God can give. 
What I'm about to share with you has been deeply personal and so very helpful for me. This is how you can grow in the hope that God gives. One, ask God to cultivate faith. Ask him to reveal what he's teaching you. How, how to trust him in the midst of difficulty. Uh, I want you to know that you're human. Your feelings are going to fluctuate. So ask God to cultivate faith in you. Second, concentrate on God's character more than your problems. I mean, if you're like me, your problems are just, and it surprises you how quickly they come back and they're at the forefront of your mind. Like instantly, like how does this even happen? You've got to be proactive. You've got to be intentional. Concentrate on God's character more than your problems, his character, his past faithfulness, his grace in the present time. You focus on the fact that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's all-loving, that he's a God of justice. He will bring justice, and he is a God of hope. And third, celebrate his acts of grace. I mean, look how God has provided. This is what is missing with Naomi. She is not living by faith or with joy. Here is a tremendous display of God's grace. Naomi is watching Ruth give this great declaration, huge testimony, saying, I'm with you. Did you notice how verse 18 ended? She said no more to her. How good it would have been for Naomi's soul to go, wow, God, even in the midst of all this devastation, look, you are at work. Look what you're doing in Ruth's life. And how good it would have been for Ruth if Naomi, her mother-in-law, would have said something, but she went silent. And hence, she missed the hope that God was offering her that day. You see, our experience of hope is determined by our view of God. So as we go to prayer, if you're in a position to do so, when we bow our heads and close our eyes, could you grab hold of the arm or a hand or maybe of a shoulder of someone that is by you so that they will know that God has not let them go? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For your word, how...